Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Well, good morning, church. Um, for those of you that don't know, if there's any first-time visitors today, my name is Heather, and I have the honor and privilege to serve alongside my husband, Stephen, as the recovery ministers on staff here at Graceland Church. Our lead pastor, Nathan, is away this week, and he is um, being able to be a blessing to a few other congregations, and we're glad that we get to honor him in that while he's away. So before we open uh, today, will you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, God, and Lord, we just ask that your presence be felt today in a tangible way. And that whatever we think we know, or whatever, whatever perception we have of you, God, that, that we have a fresh fall of you on us today. Holy Spirit, come. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So uh, this summer, we have been walking through the Psalms, not in any particular order. We've just been walking through the Psalms. And um, Pastor Nathan's been preaching on the Psalms. Um, CZ Curtis Zachary preached uh, last week on Psalm 127. And so today, we are going to kind of walk through Psalm 42 and unpack it a little bit verse by verse. And I want to give you just a little bit of background here to Psalm 42. When we come to Psalm 42, we come to a whole new section of the Psalms. So the Psalms are divided up into five books. And the first book is Psalm 1 through 41. So here we are at Psalm 42. It's the first Psalm of the second book. And um, in the original Hebrew, it is given the title to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. So in book one, um, 37 of the 41 chapters are specifically attributed to David, and the remaining four are unattributed at all. So David is the main author um, that we know in book one of the Psalms, but in book two, David still authors a majority of it, but we start to see a few more people come into play here. There's Solomon and Asaph, eight are attributed to the sons of Korah, and then there are three remaining that are not attributed at all. Um, so this chapter is the contemplation of the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were Levites. They were from the family of Kohath. And it seemed like they served in the musical aspect of the temple worship. And we get that uh, feeling from 2 Chronicles 20. Um, and these are descendants of Korah. They, they probably, we believe, are linked to Korah, the one who led a rebellion of about 250 leaders um, against Moses in the wilderness days of the Exodus. And God judged Korah. God judged Korah and his leaders, and they all died. But the sons of Korah remained. And we think perhaps that they were so grateful, so grateful that God spared them their lives, that now they are just openly praying to God. So if you will with me, um, open your Bibles or your electronic uh, copies. It will also be on the screen. We are just going to read through um, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people are saying to me all day long, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God, for the help of his countenance, the New King James Version says. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, the help of my, of my countenance and my God. So here we are in verse or chapter 42. This is an honest prayer from a discouraged saint. And I can tell you that I myself have had some honest prayers as a discouraged saint, as I'm sure many of you can relate. Now, the sons of Korah here, they begin with this powerful image of an aching for thirst in the hot season in the Middle East, and we don't know why the image of the deer is thirsty. We don't know if it was a drought. We don't know if the deer was, was running from a predator. I've heard some people say the only reason a deer would pant is if they were running from a predator. At any rate, this poor deer is running around looking for water in a dry place. And the psalmist is saying, that is how I feel spiritually. If the sense that God has been good to you, he said, is like a drink of water, then I haven't had one for days. I'm completely desiccated. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Ease he did not seek, honor he did not covet, but the enjoyment of communion with God was an urgent need of his soul. He viewed it not merely as the sweetest of all luxuries, but as an absolute necessity like water to a stag. He wasn't thirsty for actual water. We get that. He was thirsty for God. And there's so many times that, that, that drinking and thirst are common pictures for a man's spiritual needs. Man's spiritual need being, being the thirst and, and God's supply being the drinking. But the emphasis here is on the desperation of the need. He was desperate. This is a spiritual thirst. And, and this spiritual thirst needs to be satisfied with a spiritual connection to God. I love the repetition here where he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. For the living God. God of Israel is the living God. This was distinct from the dead gods of the pagans. The sons of Korah, you see, they were connected to the tabernacle, and, and they had this appointed place, and, and that they would come, and they would appear before God. It was like a schedule, and here it was a longing. Now, they weren't spiritually ignorant by any means. Um, 
they understood that God is everywhere. And David, David talks about that God was everywhere. And he knew that God was with him in that moment. But he's beginning to feel like maybe God is distant from him. Verses 1 and 2 were uh, here. This, was, this is written uh, by an Old Testament believer. So, so back before Jesus. And to them, the place that you came to appear before God was the temple. And the and. and And we know that God is present. But on the other hand, God does say in the Old Testament that he would be especially present at home in the temple. So this is where the Old Old Testament believer felt closest to God. And this this was above all where they would come to meet with God. They would come and have their sins dealt with with God. They would come and they would pray to God. So here the psalmist is asking, when can I go do that again in the temple? He's longing for it. And I love how the psalmist gives an example here of how any believer should respond to situations in life. Here's a situation where we ask, where is God? Where is he? Why is he allowing this? Why is he even doing this? Where is he? And according to Psalms 42, the first way we should respond is to pour out our souls to God. Verses 1 through 4 are complete outpouring of questions to God, and it's encouraging us to do the same. Verse 2, there's so much honesty to God here. He's like, don't you realize the state that I'm in and how long I've been there? When are you going to do something about it? It's like, don't you see me, God? Verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food. This demonstrates um, the grief and the perceived distance he feels from God. He says, I don't even have an appetite. My tears have been my food. While they continually say to me, where is your God? He was in the company of people here who were trying to discredit his God. So when they say, where is your God? They weren't saying, they, they, they weren't saying that he didn't exist. Though The word atheist really is more of a modern term. The, the people, um, the ancient people back then, they weren't really questioning or, or, or taunting him that he didn't exist, but that his God had abandoned him. Where is your God? Verse 3 the, shows that the psalm writer could relate to that. And sometimes in life, we will ask, where is God? There's no sign of him. There's no sign of him at all. And and you may not need an unbeliever to come and question that to you and question where your God is. You may be sitting in the privacy of your own home and saying, where are you, God? Where are you, God? I'm unemployed right now. Where are you, God? I've had this huge business failure, and it's, it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my family. It's, it's starting to affect beyond that. Where are you, God? My health is poor, and it just keeps continuing to decline, and you haven't healed me here on earth. Where are you, God? I'm in this relationship breakdown. I've got so much, so much hurt within me. Where are you, God? My heart is aching. Where are you, God? And Psalm 42 helps us when God can seem completely distant to us. 
In verse 4, he's remembering happier times here. He feels so distant from those better days, and he pours out his soul here, and he says, I remember those happy times when the Jewish calendar would turn, and we would have these feasts, and we'd all be together. It was so joyful, but it's so distant from me now. And sometimes we are sitting in, in, in really hard times, and it's so easy to remember the times of the past or, or better times that we were in, and we look at it, and we're like, oh, those times were so good. Where are you now? And I want to make this a little bit personal today, and I want to ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that possibly you might be talking yourself out of that God might be bringing you into? Because it's real easy to talk ourselves out of something, right? We can talk ourselves out of stuff all day long. But here, I want to encourage you today that you can talk yourself into it, just like you can talk yourself out of it. Sometimes we just need to talk to ourselves. We need to tell ourselves the truth. And I love this quote by David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, you have to take yourself at hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are thou downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? The psalmist, in verse 4, he says, these things I remember how I used to go to the house of God. And right before that, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's been listening to himself talk here for four verses about his trials, about his tears, his past. But he did something here in verse five. He did some wise speaking to his own soul here. In verse five, he totally shifts. And instead of listening to himself, he starts to preach to himself. And he says, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's like, I'm done with this. When you wake up in the morning and you, and you look in the mirror and you ask yourself what kind of day you're going to have, let's be honest, it's probably going to be about 50-50 at best, right? The psalmist, he didn't feel filled with praise in that moment. And it's as if he said something like this, listen, I don't feel like praising him right now, but he's worthy of my hope and I shall yet praise him. He's come through before, and he will do it again. He will do it again. So I'm going to wake up. I'm going to tell myself, today I'm going to be highly favored. Today I'm going to be blessed. Today I'm going to take up new ground. Today I'm going to be a blessing. Today I'm going to be an encouragement. Today I'm going to encourage not only myself and somebody else, but I am going to speak to God and I'm going to say, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? I'm going to question God. Why is he allowing this to me? Why is my soul so downcast? He does something so different here. He's powerful. This is powerful. He puts himself in his place. He puts himself in his place. He says, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. Sometimes you've got to put yourself in your place. You, you have to put yourself in your place. You have to make discouragement bow at its knee in the presence of God. You have to, you have, to have a faith, fear bow to faith in the presence of God. You might be discouraged. 
You might today say, I'm so filled with grief and regret and shame and guilt. I feel so low, but let me tell you, there are so many people that are hurting. There are so many people that, that are looking for something more, and the psalmist is experiencing pain and heartache, and he's experiencing discouragement right here, but he doesn't leave it in that dark place. He makes the decision, and he reminds himself of the goodness of God. In Isaiah, it says, take every thought captive. Doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts Praise God, lift him high. He has done it before and he will do it again. And keep telling yourself, he's done it before and he will do it again. The psalmist says, I will put my hope in God. Praising God when the sun is out and it's shining and everything is good, but not just in the good times. Praising him in the midst of a storm when the hurricane is coming straight at me. Praising him. Remind yourself that he is good. He is by nature a good God. He is a good father. He isn't looking to just strike you down in your sin like, like so many religious people often do. That's not who he is. God wants you because he loves you. He loves you. And, and you might say, I, I want that. I need that. I'm sinking here. I'm drowning. I want something more than, than what's happening right now in this life. And I'm here to tell you today that you need a relationship with Jesus in your life. And watch him. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? This is a long way from the surrender that often traps the spiritually scourged the spiritually discouraged person. He didn't say, my soul's so downcast and there's nothing I can do about it. He didn't say that. No, he challenged himself. And the challenge he made to an own soul, his own soul here is wonderful. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so downcast? Why are you doing this? Explain yourself. If there's a reason for discouragement, explain it, because I think there's even more reason for hope. Listen, there's reasons to be spiritually discouraged. I know this. I've been there. There's reasons for it, and it's if, but it's as if the psalmist said here, he says, I understand all of these things. I, I've got lots of reasons to be discouraged. I've got lots of reasons for depression here, but those are not good enough reasons to remain cast down when I think of the greatness of God. He's so good. He says, I shall have the help of his countenance. The psalmist knew to look for God in his countenance the approving face of God. And then he, he realizes that the answers are not within himself. And, and if you're here today and, and, and you come upon times of trouble and, and you're looking within yourself for the answers, I need you to know that that is a very dangerous place to be. But if you are looking outward 
If you were looking outward and upward and seeking God and seeking his face, the living God, that is the best place you could ever be. The absolute best place you could be. Hope in God is the cure for spiritual discouragement. And when we're doing good, be reminded that evil is always present. Have you, have you ever feel like you, you try to serve God and you, you try to do the wrong thing, the right thing, and then the devil just shows up? Unfortunately, I can tell you that I know what the psalmist is talking about here. But the same God that loves the psalmist, he loves you. He loves you. Verse 6 here, he brings the prayer to God. In almost a detached sense, the psalmist reported that he was cast down on his soul. Now, this was so wise of him. When we feel discouraged, when we feel spiritually depressed, we often tend to stay away from God. We often try and hide our problems. We, we try and hide things from God. We, we try and um, make everyone believe everything's okay. But the psalmist did none of that. He said, I'm not going to stay away from God. He said, I'm not going to pretend like everything's okay. He said, oh my God, my soul is so downcast. And it's so important to get this part today that he did not leave it there. He did not leave it there. Instead, he says, I'll remember you from the land of the Jordan. I'll remember that you've done it before. This explains why he felt so far from God. And why he, why he couldn't appear at the tabernacle or the temple. He was, he was, he was far north of Jerusalem in the heights of Hermon. And, and he was at the hill Mizar. And we don't know exactly where that is. But we can speculate that he was a long way from Jerusalem. A long way. And that's why he said he felt so distant from God and the tabernacle. This song was written from a distance. Paul contrasts this life now with the life to come in 1 Corinthians. There are a number of things that can happen in this life, and we probably think if we could only see God face to face, if we could only see his expression, it would change everything, but we can't. We can't. And it's inevitable that we will have times of doubt when he doesn't feel present with us. And Paul makes the same contrast in 2 Corinthians, while we were at home in the body. So as long as you are in a body, you are far away, a huge distance from him. And this is where our experience is much like the psalm writer here. As Paul puts it, we have to live by faith and not by sight. Not having all or hardly any of the answers in this life is is normal Christian life somewhat. And it's, it's very deep. Now that doesn't change our circumstances, but it changes how we live by faith in our circumstances. Verses seven and eight, this is a heavy phrase here. Deep calls to deep. 
So he's off in the high mountain of uh, uh, the mountain country, Mount Hermon, where there are these huge waterfalls. And he sees how the water is just plunging down to the pool at the base of, of the waterfall. And he thought, I feel that buried so deeply in my own misery. There I am at the pit. And everything is just crashing over me. Have you ever stood under a waterfall? He says, first I hear the constant noise of the waterfall, and it never stops. I fell down from a previous height, and that's why I'm down here. I plunged so quickly, and I was taken down deep. I feel buried under all of this. I feel like I'm drowning. If you're a surfer or if you've ever surfed or you've been spent any amount of time on the ocean and you've you've been in distress you distress you can understand what it's like to be overcome or to be tumbled by a wave and, and and you're panicking underwater and he says I feel like that not just one wave but one wave after another wave after another wave, after another. It's as if the psalmist knew this. He said, I'm in deep trouble on the inside. I'm in deep trouble on the outside. Deep calls to deep, and these two depths collide, and they call me even deeper still. What a powerful, poetic description of despair. Don't miss this. Verse 7 and 8. At the roar of what? At the roar of fate? At the roar of Satan? No. At the roar of your waterfalls. Deep calls to deep by the noise of your waterfalls. He's crying out to God here. Even in this terrible place, there are so many points of light giving hope. He says, I'm deep, Lord, but you are also. Your depths call unto me, even in my depths. The waterfalls, they belong to you. They're all yours. I'm plunged under them, but you are with me. Amen. These billows, these waves, they all belong to you. Notice that. At the noise of your waterfalls, your waves, your billows, and you've measured it all, Lord. It's a powerful picture. And I love that here he, he keeps talking here. In verse 8, he's not going to leave it here. He's going to keep talking. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. You might be here and say today, I, I know what you're saying about being in the deep. I get that, but let me tell you about what happened to me last night. You might be here and say, I get it, deep calls to deep. I've been there, but you don't know what happened to me last year. I get being in the deep, but you don't know about my childhood. I get it. God, you're so gracious. 
You might say, I know what you're telling me to do in the deep. I get what you're telling me to do, but I want you to know how damaged I was. I want you to know about the trauma that, 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 that I've been through. And God is saying, can't I find anyone anchored in hope? Night and day, night and day. Verse 8 here, he's coming to this, this greater place of confidence. He's secure in God's goodness to him in the day and in the night. In the frightening night, he's going to have the gracious comfort of his song to be with him. Isn't that beautiful? In the night, Lord, you are with me. Now, I don't even know really what, what that meant to the psalmist. But, Lord, you're going to sing to me the song I have in my heart? Whatever. God's song will be with him in the night. And he says, it will be a prayer to the God of my life. A prayer to the God of my life. He still loves you despite appearances to the contrary. He's directing his love to you every single day. This would be a great place here for him to just put down the pen. But he, circumstances and his feelings come crashing over him again. How many times do we feel like that? We start to feel a little bit happier, and then crash comes another wave. Verse 9 and 10. I love, you got to love his honesty with God here. I love this. I'm going to ask the band to come. And I see that some could see this as a pleasant contradiction here. He says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? The psalmist had the confidence to call him his rock. His place of security, stability, and strength. But at the same time, he can honestly bring his feelings before God and ask, why have you forgotten me? We see there's really no contradiction there at all. It's because he regarded God as his rock that he could just pour out his soul before him so honestly. Why do I go mourning, he says. I see you're sustaining me, but the battle isn't over yet. I'm under constant oppression of the enemy, and they're saying to me, where is your God? Why have you forgotten me? When was the last time you heard someone pray like that in church? Why do I go mourning the oppression of the enemy? A straight talking right there. He doesn't sit down and think, oh, you know, I don't know if I should say this sort of thing, or I don't know if... This is something that, that I can share it, uh, amongst the, the church people, or I don't know if this is theologically questionable. No, he just says what he feels. Said. He's a believer. He's asking out of a, a complete bewilderness and perplexity. He's not, he's not asking out of rebellion, rebelliousness or unbelief to God. He's truly perplexed. Where are you, God? It's a totally different thing. Totally 
different thing. And it's encouraging us to pour out to him, to pray even when part of us might be doubting, to pray and to just say exactly what we feel. And the last verse in this wonderful, honest psalm, notice he says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? He says it again just like he said it in verse five. And, and in chapter 43, the next chapter, these, these two chapters were originally written together and divided ages after they were written. So in, in the next chapter, in verse five, he says it again, why are you so downcast? So three times here, three times, he confronts and he rebukes himself. When you're feeling down, I want you to know today that you badly need other Christians around you. You need them to be able to filter out truth, but you also have to be able to preach to yourself. The psalmist tells us, hope in God. We say, I believe who he is. I will see God being good to me. He's done it before. He will do it again. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And for you, that may mean that you've seen God been good to you. You've seen him be, be good to you through situations in the past that you couldn't. You couldn't see it at the time. And for you, it might mean that, that maybe it might include him helping you adjust just a little bit to a different good from what you hoped for or what you envisioned. Trusting his will. Things in this life might lead you to wonder, where is God? But Psalm 42, don't forget this, reminds us to hope in God, the living God. Trust him that he will be good to me in all things, for all things, in every area of my life, even when I can't see it. For a New Testament believer like you and I, the most important thing to say is that our hope ultimately lies beyond this life. Amen. So the oppression of the enemy here continued. So he continued to speak to himself. He continued to encourage himself. He, he continued to challenge his own sense of discouragement. And you might ask, how long does this go on? How long do I keep challenging myself when I'm discouraged? And I, to that I would say, as long as you're discouraged, keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep going. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Talk to your soul. The psalmist uh, and anybody who, who is feeling buried under discouragement needs to be reminded. I've said it several times today. Hoping God, the living God. And that's where he ends here. We see him struggling. We assume he's struggling to hold on to confidence and he's, and he's hanging on just barely at the end here. But watch this in verse 11. He says, the help of my countenance and my God. Our soul satisfaction is in you, God. The one who never disappoints. Never disappoints. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I just come before you, God, the living God. I pray that you help us in our times of discouragement to hope in you, to talk to ourselves, to encourage ourselves, to be reminded that you created us, that you know every single fiber of our being and that you are with us in the deep. You've measured it all. You've measured our sorrows. You've measured our pain. You know it all. And you're right there with us. Thank you. Help us always come to you in gratitude, even when we can't see it. We love you, Jesus.